Welcome to the Midlife Rise and Thrive podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Poldmay. If you have been wondering how to feel your best in mind, body, and spirit as you navigate through midlife, then this is the show for you. Each week, I'm sharing accessible education, heartfelt stories, and exclusive interviews. We will be talking about everything from health and wellness to sex and relationships and the many challenges and opportunities that come with midlife. It's time to take charge and live fully with intention as you write your next chapter. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome Laura Folks to the show. Since 2015, Laura has helped transform over 120 clients' relationships with food. She is a certified facilitator of the research-based Truce with Food process, which helps clients achieve sustainable results without feeling deprived. Her own journey towards experiencing a truce with food and 60-pound weight loss led her to become a certified holistic health coach. Laura supports her clients to figure out why they know what they should be eating but can't stick with it to get to the bottom of why they self-sabotage and fall off track. We have all been there. Laura lives in Chicago with her Aussie husband and their black cat, Katie. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you for the intro. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to expand upon before we get started and dive in? I think, I mean, there's so much from my journey and everything, but just a quick overview of with the 60 pound weight loss, I struggled with my weight since I was 12 and would do every diet and then lose weight, gain it all back plus some. And in 2008, like you mentioned, I was able to lose the 60 pounds, which took about three or five years, somewhere around there, and a few different approaches to get to that. But even after I lost the weight and had been maintaining it, my relationship with food was still pretty strained, which is what ended up leading me to find out about truce with food and then go through the process myself. And that is what really had the biggest impact for me with just shifting away from feeling like I was in that cycle of wanting to feeling like I was working what I call working the system where I'd eat well for a while, then say, screw it, eat whatever I wanted and have to lose any weight that I had gained. And it was an exhausting cycle. So once I found truce with food, that's when things really shifted for me. Okay, great. Awesome. Yeah. I know so many people struggle with yo-yo dieting or thinking they can't eat certain foods. And, you know, as a healthcare practitioner, I do see certain people that cannot eat certain foods, but it's much less likely than you would think to be able to have to, you know, block out an entire food group. So I'm interested to learn more about the truce with food concept and, you know, just dive right in. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole idea behind truce with food is really what shifted for me and what shifts a lot for my clients is it's not necessarily about what we're eating. So a lot of my clients typically know what to do. They've had a lot of success temporarily, and it can be temporary, can be a couple of years even, Mm -hmm. where they're able to be quote unquote good for a while, and then something happens that takes them off track. And so a lot of times people think that they just need more willpower or discipline, but they're really disciplined in so many different areas of their life. And yet around food, they feel like they're white knuckling their way through or 
just having to be really restrictive with what they're eating or how they're going about their days. And so what we are looking at is how are they actually trying to protect themselves with food and how does it actually make perfect sense when somebody's able to be good and then they fall off track and they feel like they're being bad. And so that's really the whole idea behind it is we really want to get to the root into the bottom of what is leading them to fall off track. And this can happen not just around food, but it can happen with anything that you consider to be a bad habit. So I've worked with clients even on biting and picking their nails. It can happen around drinking, mindless shopping, not going to the gym consistently, anywhere where it feels like you have really good intentions and you're able to stick with it for a little while, but then something happens and you aren't able, you're like, oh, I'll get back on track tomorrow. Or, you know, you just have these games that you play with yourself almost to try to stick with it. And for some reason, you're not able to. So that's the whole idea behind it. I've, there's a it's a there's a framework that goes with that. And that's a oversimplification of it. But that's the idea behind it. Yeah. So tell us more. Tell us where you start with this and give us kind of the process. Sure. So I like to share actually an unconscious cycle that we're in when we are falling off track or self-sabotaging because it gives an idea of what is happening, but then also is pretty much the process as well. So it starts with a trigger and there are four common triggers that take people off track. So there's feeling tired, which can be emotional or physical depletion, feeling anxious, which often comes with some level of uncertainty, feeling inadequate, which doesn't necessarily mean we feel like we're not enough or not good enough in all areas of our life. There could be certain places or projects or things where we may feel like we're not good enough or not enough. And then feeling lonely. And with loneliness, even though we have a great support, we can have a great support system around us, we can still feel isolated, alone, or lonely. So that's what trips off the cycle. Then from there, it triggers a story. And our stories were typically created earlier in our lives when we didn't have the full context of what was happening around us. And so we would internalize whatever was going on as about us. And it protected us in many ways, but is also keeping us stuck. And we're often reacting still to the past today. So for my example, I was bullied when I was in middle school and high school. And I developed a story around my body and food and just in general in life that if I misunderstood that I could fail and if I failed, then I would end up alone. And I wasn't always clear on whether there was a real or perceived risk. But if I got an email from somebody when I was working in advertising, like a client or someone, and I felt like there was a risk of being misunderstood, that would trigger me in the same way as when I was bullied when I was you know, 12 or 13 years old. So from the story, we have a stress reaction. And just like animals, they go into fight, flight, or freeze mode when they're at physical threat. We have stress reactions that come up and protection strategies that come up when our belonging is at threat. And those are to compete, avoid, and accommodate. And each of those results in a different behavior. But in general, the accommodate is when we put other people's needs ahead of our own. We people please. We want to fix, be the peacekeeper. Then we, when we compete, that's where we feel like we're falling behind a lot. And we compare ourselves to other people, and that can be either their skill sets or our bodies. And we also compare a current version of ourselves to a past version. And then it's almost like we're running a marathon and the finish line just keeps moving and we feel like we can never catch up. So we keep trying to take on more, but just feel like we're falling behind a lot. And then the avoid 
protection strategy is when we feel like we are procrastinating and fall into analysis paralysis and we feel like we just can't take action. So we have the trigger, the story, the stress reaction, the behavior that leads to eating out of alignment with our goals. Then we lose self-trust and then it loops back into the trigger. So a lot of times people feel like they are on a merry-go-round that they just can't get off. And it's typically that's the cycle they're in. And so to give an idea of the process is we start with that story and really identifying what the story is that is driving our eating. And that really helps to make it more of something instead of having it feel like it's who we are, we make it more of an object and something that we can change that's outside of ourselves. Because otherwise, if we're subjected to it, it feels like it's just the way things are and how life is. And so we really want to see that we have the story and then the whole process is around story revision. So we're really getting into self-authoring. And I can go into more of the process, but I'll pause because it's a lot of information to see if you have any questions or anything um, to dive deeper into. Well, no, I mean, that really resonated with me because I, I've seen that cycle myself, especially with exercise. It takes time out of my day. And then there's a few things that come into play, one of which is like on the weekends, I'll feel guilty if my husband's around and I want to go to the gym. Oftentimes I will go, but I can catch myself falling off track because he's around and I should spend time. And, you know, so there's definitely a lot of these I think I can see parallels in my life, not necessarily from eating, but with eating as well. I feel great when I eat what serves me. But then again, I think it's more of like a, you know, I want to cook more fun things for him or, you know, I want to go out to eat socially and I don't make the best choices because other people around me aren't making the best choices. So it's really interesting when you said, you know, the different triggers, I could, I could see a little bit of each trigger and how they might play for myself or even with things that my patients have expressed. So that's fascinating. So you basically take the story, try and figure out what the story is and then what the triggers are associated with it. And then basically find ways to reframe or not get triggered by the things. Yeah. So it's not necessarily reframing. So the first part of the process is really about even seeing what's happening because we're like a fish that's in water that, and we can't even see the water we're in. So we really want to first even see that we're a fish in the water, right? So it's really seeing the triggers and the story. And I'm curious, even with the stress reactions from what you were talking about, it seems like, and I'm going to go out on a limb and guess, would you say that the accommodate stress reaction is the one that resonated? Or is that one of them that resonated? Yeah. And I think it resonates for a lot of women. It's like, we want to accommodate others. Like that's just our nature, right? So for sure, accommodate. And feel free to pick me apart. I'm in (laughs) using myself as a case study. (laughs) No, I love it. It's, It's helpful for people to hear other people's experiences and their examples too. And so, yeah, what we do is first it's the story and then we get into the stress reactions and how are how is your story driving those stress reactions, which ultimately, again, is driving your eating or whatever behavior it is that you want to change. So in your case, if that's something that you want to be more consistent with, that's what we would explore is what is taking you off track with being consistent with your with exercise. And then we get into the protective sides of yourself. So some people will call like in self-development work, a lot of times they look at these as like inner critics or the inner saboteur. 
we look at them as the inner protector. And there's two different inner protectors, which there's the one that wants you to be good and keep you out of your story, which can still cost you things. So like if somebody tends to be a perfectionist or hyperproductive or anything that will make it so that they'll be accepted or there's more of a chance that they'll be accepted, but it might burn them out. So one of my clients, she like she was hyperproductive and couldn't just do an average Excel spreadsheet. It had to be the best. Like everything she did had to be the best and the biggest. But then she would get home at night and collapse on the couch with a bottle of wine. And not that she would drink the whole bottle necessarily, but she would drink more wine than she wanted to. And then she would also eat more than she wanted to in the evenings. And the thing is, is like that's a part of her identity she didn't want to get rid of completely. But what we needed to do, and this is where some of that like changing the story comes in, it's not necessarily reframing, but it's seeing what happens and experimenting and testing with what happens if she doesn't, if she isn't as hyperproductive with the spreadsheet. Does she get rejected? Does anybody say anything and call her out for not doing as good of a job? Does she not get that gold star that she thinks that she should? You know, like, so it's looking at what is the real or perceived risk there? And then there are other times where she wanted to choose to be hyperproductive because it gave her energy to do it in some cases. So it's being able to discern when she wanted to be hyperproductive and when it was costing her something. So that's the the noble inner protector we look at. And then there's also the inner protector that judges us when we're being bad and puts us into our story. So if in my instance of not wanting to be misunderstood, there may be times where I felt like I had been misunderstood and then I would be in my story and beating myself up and eating and all of that stuff. So that's the first part of it. And then people get tools and to be with any discomfort and to calm the nervous system when anything comes up that triggers us. And then it is getting into often there's a values gap as well for people in like that hyperproductive example, did she value being productive? And is it more around connection? One of the things that being hyperproductive and being an accommodator for this one client, she would also take on and not ask for help at work. And so, but she was a leader and a supervisor. And she realized that collaboration is actually a big value of hers, but she wasn't collaborating because she was afraid that she was going to be seen as too much if she was asking or not not good enough if she asked for help. Yeah. So those are the types of things that we work on is to figure out where there's a gap in values and then how do we rewrite that story? And not necessarily, we don't need to know exactly what the words are or anything, but it's more of experimenting and seeing that we have more room to choose versus just reacting and expanding our choices beyond just black and white, all or nothing, but getting to that moderate middle and what we call an option C in truce with food. I love that. That's amazing. And it seems like the pattern can be similar. I think of so many women that struggle with food where they try, 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 and then they feel so ashamed or let down or, you know, just disappointed in themselves because they've quote unquote failed, Mm -hmm. but they haven't done anything. And I don't mean they, myself included, like when we continue to repeat those patterns, we're not maybe looking at the root source of the pattern. We're looking for the next best diet or the next best exercise or the next best thing. Instead of looking at like, why do we keep setting ourselves up this way? (laughs) What's triggering us to not go to the gym or what's triggering us to 
sit on the couch with a plate of french fries when we could be potentially cooking a healthier meal? Like what, what are the root issues here and how can we rewrite them? I love that. Yeah. And even in that example, too, is a lot of times when we're looking for like the next diet or the next thing, we're looking for an authority, something that is going to give us some level of certainty, especially if the anxiety and anxious is a trigger and there's uncertainty underneath that. Often when depending on how we are with food or exercise, there's a lot of metaphor in that and there's a lot of parallels. And so that's a lot of what I look at as the health coach is when somebody is craving some level of uncertainty, are they feeling with their food or diet or exercise or whatever, are they feeling uncertain or feeling out of control someplace else in life? And so they're trying to grab on or grasp onto something that they feel like they can control. And that was something that came up a lot for me, especially when I first started my business is when I felt it took me a while to figure this out. But when I felt vulnerable or uncertain in an area, especially in my business, when there was a new level that was coming up with uncertainty and vulnerability, that's what I would feel like, oh my God, I need to lose weight and I need to lose it fast because my body had become the comfortable resting place of something that I could control, even though I wasn't always controlling it. Because that would go on for days or weeks or months sometimes where I would be like, oh my God, I'm fat. I need to lose weight. I need to do this as soon as possible. I'm going to get on this plan or I'm going to do this. But it was the way for me to grasp on to some level of certainty, even though there was still a lot of uncertainty around it. But it was like my comfortable resting place was my body, basically, and something that I could fix or control. Wow. So when you work with clients, tell me a bit about that process. Yeah. So it's a six-month process and program, and we meet twice a month. And The first session is an hour and 45 minutes. And so that one's a little bit longer because we go through a whole exercise that gets into the story. So we're really diagnosing and getting into a rough draft of their story in the first session. And then I give them homework in between sessions as well. So that way they can, the homework will guide them, especially that first session is now that we have a rough draft of your story, how is that showing up in your life? And because most of the work is really done outside of our time together. So it will help them see we're looking at their eating as a symptom. So anytime in the couple of weeks when we're not together, if somebody has a binge or if they don't eat or they feel like they skipped the gym even though they had laid out their clothes and had really good intentions, those are symptoms that their story was there. So we that's when I will they'll have a journal and something that they can reflect on to see what was actually happening and were those triggers present? How was their story showing up? So really helping to connect the dots of what's actually driving their eating. And so that's basically the process is we have a session and then they get some homework, they go through that, and then we talk about that after each session as well. You actually set up an eating plan with the person as far as like, what would you what what would success look like for you? What, you know, do you do you do any nutritional work with them or is it more just sticking in the triggers of story and all of that? Most people want to focus more on the emotional work because they already typically know what works for them nutritionally. There are some clients who do want to explore more of the food piece. And so we do have some food experiments that they can go through. So it's not necessarily giving them a meal plan or a food plan at all, but it's more the food experiments are testing to see if they eat uh, more of a vegetarian 
um, way of eating for breakfast versus more of a paleo. And it's not necessarily the diet, but it's more of like for the paleo breakfast, it's a higher protein, higher fat, lower carb. And then the vegetarian breakfast is more of higher carb, lower protein and lower fat as well, just to see what balances does a better job of balancing their blood sugar and what will sustain them better throughout the day. So that will give them more of the foundation and of an idea of how their body burns and what's the way that works best for them. And that was really insightful for me too, as I did that, because I realized I'm more on that paleo end where I do better with animal protein and higher fat and lower carb. And that made a huge difference in balancing my blood sugar. And so I was craving less sugar and was able to, I needed less snacks throughout the day. So it can be really helpful, but a lot of times, so that is a part that can be incorporated, but a lot of times my clients do want to focus mainly and first on the emotional piece. And that makes sense because if you could get that piece more figured out, then you're much more likely to stick with the things that I give you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they kind of work hand in hand though, right? Because like if your ba- blood sugar is not balanced, then your mood is harder to moderate. And then also your sleep may be off, which can also impact your emotions and your blood sugar. So they do work hand in hand, which is why it's important to address both. But yeah, it's, I mean, I've had clients come to me that say like, I know I do better with animal protein and more of a paleo way to be eating, but I just can't stick with it. And I don't know why. And so that's why we will dig into the story and the emotional work first. And then the eating tends to fall into place. And so that's something else that's really interesting is a lot of times people will talk about wanting to eat mindfully or intuitively. And my clients are often either pretty disassociated from their bodies or when they are in that cycle, they're able to override whether they really are hungry or not. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I sure have where I'm like, do I really want this or need this? And I'm like, no. And am I really hungry? No, but screw I'm going to eat it anyways. Mm-hmm. And so like in mindful eating, a lot of times they would say like, see if your body really needs that. And like, or intuitive eating, I guess, see if your body really needs it. And then if it does, then go ahead and enjoy it and savor it and stuff. And it can be so easy when we're in our story to be like, yes, yeah, screw it. I don't care. I'm just going to eat this or, you know, yeah, my body needs this. And so we can come up with the excuse or whatever. And so what tends to happen is as we work through the process and people aren't triggered by their stories as much, they more naturally are able to eat intuitively and mindfully and the day that I was able to walk by a box of donuts and say to myself, you know what, I would like some carrots right now. I had to pinch myself because I was like, this is bizarre. How come I used to love donuts and I would never pass one up and now I'm able to walk by them and I really want carrots. And it wasn't like I had to resist those or think about, no, I should eat the carrots. It was like, no, I really want carrots. Yeah, because you knew how it would make you feel. Yeah. And I just didn't even need them. Like because I wasn't being triggered by my story and there wasn't an emotional pull to those donuts anymore. It was, it's pretty freeing. Great. Well, we will definitely share all of your links in the show notes, but please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you or anything that you've got going on that you want them to know before we sign off. Yeah. So I do have a workbook on my website and the link will be in the show notes, I'm sure, that can help if those triggers, if you're curious about which trigger effects that takes you off track the most, or it can be a combination of all four of them even. 
but there's a workbook that can walk you through connecting your triggers with your eating. And then if anybody has any questions or wants to chat about anything that I talked about today in, in more depth, I offer a free curiosity call. It's a 50-minute call. And the link is on my website for that as well. And we can just talk about what's swirling around in their mind. I know that for a lot of people, it can feel really isolating or they can feel alone with their food battle and their food struggle. And it can be vulnerable to open up and talk about it. And also it can be really freeing to do that. I'm available to chat with you and to create that space for you so that you have somebody that you can talk through this with. Wonderful. Love it. And your website is? Yeah, it's laurabfolks.com. And it's F for Fred, O-L-K-E-S is the last name. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Laura, so much for being a guest on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you and I've already had some insights. So I think I need to fill out the workbook. Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. We appreciate it. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Midlife Rise and Thrive podcast. If you are struggling right now to answer the question, what's next? I want you to sit with me here for a moment. Take this moment with me to breathe in deeply. Go ahead and breathe in and breathe out completely. I want you to set a new intention to rise and thrive in this truly important next chapter of your life. Sometimes it's tough to get started and I want to help. Grab your free copy of my self-assessment tool that will give you three ways to get started. Link is in the show notes. I'll see you next time.